What is up, people, and welcome back to the Games Gone podcast. This is your boy Shiv, and I will be hosting today's episode. With me is the man, the myth, the scouse himself, Riddick. What is up, people? I'm back for a round for episode two. You know, we hope you enjoyed episode one, and we're gonna just we're gonna take it to another level this episode. All right, so we're recording this at the end of the first round of fixtures. Our co-host and brother Rishi is in Qatar enjoying the action firsthand, so you're stuck with the two of us for now. So, in a World Cup where the coverage has been about human rights, Piers Morgan's tweets, BBC's lack of an opening ceremony, and the weirdest sponsorship deal in history, we'll be talking about the one thing no one else is, the football. And let me tell you, we have got some things to talk about. This comes straight after the Brazil game. It ended around 10 minutes ago. So let's start there. Riddick, what were your thoughts on Brazil? Okay, so the first half Brazil played, I thought Serbia were quite very good at Brazil. They stayed compact. They made Brazil play very slowly and it really suited their tempo. And they forced Brazil's hand to play a much slower game, which which isn't their nature. I thought they were really good at marking Neymar. Um, it shows because, let's be honest, he did not have a great game by his standards. Um, so I thought that the game plan was working. The In the first half, the few times Brazil did get through, it was through one two-touch football. Very quick, very incisive tempo. And I thought that's how what they needed to do in the second half to to damage, to hurt. And sure enough, they, they upped the tempo. They kept the one-touch, two-touch football. You know, they kept giving it instead of giving it to Neymar like they were doing in the first half, they kept spreading it to the wings. And and Vinny and Rafinha are very good at taking on their players. So one two-touch football and then wing play was really improved. And then obviously you get the goal. There's a bit of luck in the first goal because it goes straight to Richarlison. But yeah. the second goal, it just epitomizes what I think Brazil should be playing like all the time. <laughs> yeah, I think you've nailed it there, you know. And this is what makes Brazil so dangerous, because I, I agree with you. I think Serbia did a really good job in marking Neymar. But they have so many different ways that they can hurt teams. Vinny and Rafinha were having field days down the wings. Yeah. And and that's the issue, right? How do you stop all three of them and the striker? You're basically four on four all the time. And they just took advantage of that. Yeah. And what did you think about the second goal? I mean... Goal of the tournament. I feel like I said that about the Saudi Arabia goal. I'll come to that as well. But yeah. it's very rare to get, you know, they call it, I don't know if you remember, but back when we were kids, we used to call that the Pele, where you where you put it up to yourself and then you score the overhead kick. Yep. Yeah. And um, yeah, fitting that they would score a Pele in their first game. <laughs> and Richardson, you know, as much as I don't like him, he's got a fantastic record for Brazil. He scored 19 goals in in his Brazil career so far. And yeah, he was dangerous. Know, before the tournament to... started, I thought Jesus would play. But then I started looking at the stats. And actually, Jesus has only scored one goal in the last 17 for Brazil. Mm-hmm. But Richarlison scored consistently through the qualifiers. And I get why he's leading the line. Because when yeah. you've got yeah. Vinny, Neymar, Rafinha teeing it up, you just need a lethal poacher who's going to put the ball in there. And that's what Richarlison is yeah. doing. Exactly. And... At the time he scored his second or his first goal, he had the least touches in the game. So that's exactly how they're going to play. 
It's a bit similar yeah. to Haaland and City. They don't want him involved in the build-up play. They want him just to finish. Yeah, and I think I think he's fulfilling that role well. So I think Brazil, yeah, both of us picked them to be our favourites to win the World Cup. And, um, you know, they look good. They look very good, even defensively. I don't. I mean, Serbia is not the best team, obviously, but I don't think they were really challenged. Yeah, they 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 didn't they looked very strong defensively and i know it's only serbia but they did have a serbia did have a decent attack you know you got uh, mitrovic tadic and vlahovic these are good players i thought they nullified them quite well and uh, casimiro uh, had a great game i just wanted to talk about sandro that goal i nearly screamed the goal he almost scored the one that hit the post yeah. Wow, I was like, no way. Yeah, that would have screamed if that went in. Yeah, that would have been something. Yeah. Right, moving on from Brazil, on to the team that's actually going to win the World Cup. Of course, it's coming home. Mighty (laughs) England with a resounding victory in their first game. What were your thoughts? Um, So I was... I will admit and hold my hands up and say I was surprised. He went with the back four. I I honestly thought it was he was nailed on to start with the back five, but he no he went more brave, he went more aggressive, more he wanted to be on the front foot. So and England started that game very well, you know they they were the passing was zip around you know it was zipping around. You had a very good midfield. I, uh, the midfield was really good with Mount Rice and Bellingham. Uh, what a player Bellingham is. You know, future LFC player and all. Um, and future he scored Man United very... player, did you say? Future Man United player? Yeah. yeah. Nah, nah, nah. His idol is Gerard, mate. So, <laughs> <laughs> he scored a yeah, very I, similar I goal you. to Gerard. Yeah, I thought, I thought he was going to play a back five. And ultimately, I wonder if he came under fan pressure to play that more attacking lineup. Um, I don't know if it's fan pressure. But I will say, in a few of the games leading up to this, he did experiment with a back four. I didn't think that he would employ it now because the experiment, I didn't think, went extremely well. I thought there were a lot of problems when they were trying to shift to a back four. But maybe he thought, you know, it's Iran, we would be good to get our World Cup campaign to a good start before we start playing some of the more tougher opponents. So maybe yeah. this is what was for confidence. Yeah, and you know, it's a, it's good you mentioned that because it's a tough group. USA and Wales, they both looked really solid. Yes, yes, they did. Um, and, you know, they're both emotion-driven games, obviously close allies of the UK, etc. It will be tough going. We've lost to USA before, we've lost to Wales before. So um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be something. Let's just touch on, um, let's touch on a couple of the players. What did you think of Saka? Obviously, you know, he had a really tough time after the Euros, but really delivered on, on the bigger stage. Yeah, I think it was fitting. He scored an ex- excellent goal. The the volley, or I'm not sure if it was a volley, or it was just a, it had a slight bounce and then he hit it. That was, it was that a was very play. good finish. Sorry. Yeah, I think it. I think it took one bounce just as he was yeah. hitting it. Yeah. Um. He was he was a live wire. They they could not con- control him. They could not contain him at all. They kept fouling him. You know, he was always getting at that fullback, always getting at, at, at his man, driving the play. So he had a yeah. very good game, in my opinion. Uh, yeah. Then there's honestly, the man. I thought Foden would start. Sorry. Oh, you thought Foden would start. 
I did think Foden would well, start, but then Saka just proved like why he should be starting instead of Foden. Yeah, no, I wanted I wanted Saka to start. I'm glad he did, and I'm glad he didn't start a wing back or something stupid like that. You know, he started <laughs> yeah, in his yeah. position and he proved why he yeah. deserves to play there. But I think man of the match performance, unreal for a 19 year old, has to be Bellingham. Oh yeah, you know he I don't was... I don't watch a lot of German football, but I was so impressed with him. It was unreal. He was everywhere. He was all over that pitch, no. and. He scored a very Gerard-esque header, you know, Milan 2005, shades of that, you know? So this is why he's coming to Liverpool, Shiv. <laughs> this oh, yeah. is why. But, you know, yeah. I, read, um, I read a report that said England, uh, yeah, England and the past England teams have always been a little bit static in their play. Very mm-hmm. kind of long ball tactics or the passing feels a little bit janky. But actually, this England team feels very, very fluid. Yeah, and the reason they reckon that is is because Bellingham, Saka, Rashford, Foden, Rice—they all played together at the youth levels of England. Yeah, yeah, they have played a lot of football together, and I think that goes unnoticed at times because nobody really follows the youth circuits. But you know, some of these players were in that team that won the was it under 19s or under 21 World Cup. I think it was under 19 World Cup, yeah. Yeah, and you know, we're now seeing the benefits of that because there is a fluidity to the way they're playing. Yeah. Um, yes, uh, I didn't think of that really, but it's a good point you made. Like That's something that's very easily overlooked. Like I just did, I just overlooked that. But yeah. um, I think what's, I think what changed this kind of, perf- what, what brought up this performance was he went with Rice and Bellingham and Mount in the midfield. Yeah. I think that was key because Rice, Bellingham and Mount all are very tech, very technical. They can take the ball under pressure and play, find a pass or drive out like out from the press. So the fact they he picked them was uh, yeah. really good because Bellingham was able to make string a bunch of passes, you know, out wide or just to relieve some of the pressure on him or some of the other players on the team. Um, Same with Rice, same with um, Mount. And yes, you could say like, okay, it's only Iran. But as we'll come on to later, this result was extremely important. If you look at some of the other results, you know, some of the upsets we've had, uh, it was, it's key for, it was key for England to get a good result here. Yeah, definitely. You know, there's no easy game in a World Cup. That much is for sure. Let's just talk quickly on uh, the defence. A concern for you? Um, so I didn't actually. Oh, I didn't really watch how they got their goals. I watched the second goal. Um, it was very simple, kind of like a given goal, and yeah. they, they were through. So yeah. maybe, but I also did think Harry Maguire had a pretty decent game. He was very imposing, very physical. He won yeah, you know, the, the first goal was obviously his mistake, but I think that was just after he started getting those dizzy spells. Uh-huh. Um, so it can probably be forgiven. He did have a really good game up to that point. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's not much news out of the England camp at this stage, but they think it might have been dehydration or something like that. Um, and obviously, he came off immediately after the goal, which shows he wasn't quite, quite yeah. together there. But even the second goal, I just felt England switched off a little bit. Which, you know, they can be guilty of if you're that far ahead. 
but I'd like to see a more solid defensive performance against USA or Wales. Yeah, um, I would say that because I think the attacking talent on Wales and USA is a bit better than in Iran, against Iran, sorry. Uh, I just wanted to ask you about Kane's ankle. Is there so, concern there? Yeah, there was concern, but um, he got cleared to play this morning. Oh, okay. I didn't see that. Good, good news. I mean, obviously with Harry Kane, the big issue is that he's had ankle injuries in the past. Yeah. You know, what I would hope for is that England can get an early goal and maybe give him a bit of a rest. Because mm-hmm. I actually thought Callum Wilson played really well. Yeah. But, Which is... Sorry, go on. Yeah, but that you know that's always going to be a concern because he is the talisman of the team. He is England's highest goal scorer. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's one of the older people in that team. And I think they need that kind of expertise around them. Yeah, that experience. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I, that's kind of coming back to what I said last week, which is why I thought they might bring Tony because he's yeah. very similar to Kane and Kane picks up these injuries on his ankle. Yeah, absolutely right. Last question on England then before we move on. Is it coming home? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Not convinced yet? It's not coming home. Hey, you never know. If some of the big teams keep losing. You never know. Yeah. Obviously, all we right. hope that Iran's keeper is all right. That concussion looked nasty. Yes, I was very surprised that he he carried on playing. Yeah, that that I was a new, mistake. Yeah, I thought the new concussion protocol was was a lot stricter than that. But um, mm-hmm. no, I don't, I obviously I don't know what happened on the pitch, but I didn't think he should play. Yeah, no, no, he had to be taken off. Yeah. All right, on to on to big teams losing. Let's mm-hmm. talk about the mighty mighty Messi and his downfall. To the Saudis. Yeah. Uh, where this to begin with biggest, this one? This is the biggest upset in World Cup history. Oh. I can't think of a bigger one. I mean, Saudi Arabia, because I Googled it, because I had to Google it, are 52nd <laughs> in the world. They're actually ranked below Qatar. Um, so that, that makes them the lowest ranked team in the tournament. And Argentina haven't lost a game in, what was it, 18 months? Yeah, 35, 36 games. Yeah, and to lose to Saudi, oh, biggest upset in World Cup history, in my opinion. Um, but you made a good point last week about a weakness of Argentina's, and it feels like that was exposed. Yeah, I said during the game on our on our WhatsApp chat to you, that left switch, Saudi Arabia were targeting Argentina's left back. Yeah, That switch was happening all game. And I, yeah. I could, I just knew that if Saudi were to get a goal, it would be down that side. Talia Fico did not look like he had any help, and yeah. they, and even when there was help, he looked very weak. And and there were able, the wingers were able to get past at him very easily, in my opinion. Yeah, both goals came from that side, right? Yeah, most of the most of their attacking play, any dangerous moves came came down that side. And this is the risk with Argentina, right? They have a very, very experienced and very good attacking lineup. But if you can neutralize that, is their core a little bit weak? Well, Romero did not have a good game. Um, And I think he got the selection wrong with Otamendi. I I think Martinez should have started. They looked much better when Martinez came on. But he came on for Romero. I think if you put Romero and Martinez together, that's a much better pairing 
or much better overall balance. There's aggression and then there's intelligence with like positions because Martinez is not the biggest. Uh, so I think they complement each other quite well. Yeah, so he did I agree get that with you. Though. And I was disappointed also in their midfield. It felt like they just gave up that midfield battle too easily. Yeah, they had um, they had DePaul playing. Um, and I can't remember who was the other pivot man in the 4-2-3-1. But one thing I noticed about Argentina and also Brazil do this as well. In They start the game with a 4-2-3-1. But when they're defending, it's a 4-4-2. Yeah. Right? Whereas when they're on the ball, it's the the two players that I've noticed this quite a few times during the Saudi game. Their two wingers stayed out wide and you had Messi and the striker push up. So it's almost a 4-2-4 effectively. Yeah. It helped get them into very good positions, but they weren't able to convert. Oh, agreed. But it is worth mentioning the Saudi goalkeeper had an excellent game. Yes. The whole defense had an excellent game. They caught him offside like three or four yeah. times. Yeah, they they played with a lot of heart, the Saudi mm-hmm. Arabia team. And yeah, on the balance of it, I think they deserved the win. I think Argentina, yeah, if you look at the stats, they had a lot of shots. But in terms of goal scoring opportunities, few and yeah. far between. The XG for the whole game was quite low. I believe it was like one point one two for Argentina and like 0.7 for Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Which uh, I just Argentina had 20 shots. It's unreal, right? Yeah. I just wanted to ask about Argentina's attack. Sure. Do you think that they're wasteful? Do you think they're creating enough? What, what do you think? I think tactically they were struggling. Mm-hmm. It, it felt like they were they kept running out of ideas. If you saw the first half, Every attack was get the ball to Di Maria. Di Maria will pass to Messi and hopefully Messi will do something. Yeah. And it just feels like there's this over-reliance on that kind of Di Maria-Messi partnership to create something. But actually what makes a great team even greater is when your best player isn't the one that you need the most. Yeah, you, mm-hmm. you look at you know Brazil, because Neymar is picking up so much attention, the other players can thrive. Yeah, and that's kind of what Argentina need, right? If Messi is going to be constantly marked, and he was basically being man marked that whole game, and he will be through the tournament because it's Messi, then the other players need to utilize that space they get from that, you know, having one man less, mm-hmm. and make the most of it. I just don't think they did. Di Maria just didn't know what to do on the wing. Yeah, do you think the penalty was soft? I think. And we're going to say this a lot of this World Cup. It was a penalty mm-hmm. by the by the book, as it were. But I'd like to see kind of a harder line that things like that aren't given. But well, I can see there was a penalty. I would agree with that because in the England game, there was a very similar situation and they weren't awarded a penalty, whereas here they were. Yeah, it's one of those, you can see it going either way. You can argue it either exactly. way. It's just a personal preference. You know, as somebody who played... As a defender, I don't think there was that much in that. Yeah, yeah. I'd agree with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, one more point I think you made is that, or I made, I can't remember who made it, but the the most experienced players for Argentina are their attackers. Yeah. Whereas 
in terms of other teams like Brazil, their most experienced players are the defenders. Yeah. Do you think that could make a difference further down the line? I think it has to, if you look at the history of World Cups. Yeah, for so long, teams who've had great attackers but not great defenders haven't done well. Look at Brazil in the last two, three World Cups. They've had great attacking talent. Argentina have had great attacking talent, but they haven't been able to convert it into the biggest victories because they leak goals at the back. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's what happened to it. Yeah, the, the first Saudi goal was not particularly brilliant. It was, you know, a couple of strung together passes, one run, a shot that, you know, came off. But, and, you know, the second goal was brilliant play by the Saudi player. I forget yeah. his name. But to take to go through four players like that is yeah. incredible by anybody. But yeah, focusing on that first goal, it is just poor defending. It, it's what England did against Iran, funnily enough, for yeah. Iran's second goal. You know, you just you can't switch off against any team in this World Cup, especially when you have such a small lead. At least with England, they were six up. But if you're only going to be one goal up, you can't be making those mistakes. Yeah, yeah. And that's, I think, part of the reason why Romero got hooked uh, at, after that point. He was very poor for their goal. Yeah. Um, that Saudi goal, arguably goal of the tournament, obviously until now, where we have a contender with Richarlison's goal. Uh, just wow. I was in awe when he scored that goal, honestly. Yeah, to, take, to, take, to go through those two players initially and then to take out the other two with the turn, it was just, it was almost Messi-like, funnily enough. Yeah, it was Messi-esque. <laughs> which is uh, which is ironic. But yeah, let's see with Argentina. I think, you know, the best is still to come for them. They've just got yeah. a bit of a battle on their hands now. Yeah, now they have to... Now there's a real possibility they finish second. In yeah. The yeah, and that's the thing about the, the World Cup. It's, you know, some people say the group stage can be a little bit dull at times, you know, a lot of smaller teams, etc. But because you only get three games, every one of those points matter. Mm-hmm. And now it's tough for Argentina. If they lose another game, they're out. Yep. And things happen in football, as we've seen. Let's move yep. on to France. And uh, it's the man, the myth, the legend himself, Giroud, who had an excellent game, actually. Mm-hmm. But the big question for me is, can he keep it up and fill that Benzema, Ballon d'Or-sized hole that is left in that France team? That's an interesting question. I say interesting because up until the Euros, Benzema wasn't really in the picture for France. It was Giroud. He was the focal point. When they won the World Cup, he was the focal point. Okay, he didn't score any goals that World Cup. Yeah. But he was still the main man at the time. Um. So, yeah, I find it interesting that we've kind of pivoted back to Giroud. But so far, he's been good. And he's just broke a France record. I think he's the all-time scorer now for France. Yeah. 52. But he's got more goals for France than Harry Kane has for England. That's a stat yeah. for you. That, that's, a, that's a crazy stat. Yeah. And, um, you know, Giroud is a poacher through and through. Yeah. And that suit a bit like Richarlison for Brazil, funnily enough, it suits the way France play. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. They looked dominant. I know it wasn't the hardest game, but they they had twenty three shots. They won easily. I know they started badly. Australia got that early goal. That was a good move as well. 
But Teo Hernandez ruptured his ACL in that move. Oh, did he? Yeah, that's that's confirmed now. He's oh, he's done his I ACL. Knew, I knew he was injured. I didn't realize the ACL that sad. Yeah. Now, do you think that was just you know a rusty start to the World Cup, or do you think there's something deeper wrong? Well, I thought it was interesting because you know in the build up to the World Cup, we all I spoke about it last time. He played a three back, but yeah. he starts this World Cup as a four. You know, it could be because of now the lack of attackers he's had to cover, yeah, or more. So maybe that's the that's the potential reason as to why. It I don't think it's that concerning because apart from that one move, Australia didn't really get at France's defense. Yeah, you know, I don't think I don't think there's that much room for concern there. I just think that maybe it was a bit of rust. You know, it was just one move kind of thing. Yeah. No, definitely. And you know, you've made a good point that Australia didn't really get at France's defense. And I was very impressed by France's midfield. A lot of yeah, pundits, us included in the first episode, have spoken about how France are missing Kante, they're missing Pogba, and what's that that's gonna do to their midfield. But these young guns, they did all right. They looked solid. Yeah, sure sure many. Uh he's going to be able to do what Kante does for France. I think I said that in the first episode. He is a very, very strong, very physical CDM. Yeah. He, you know, he's very intelligent with his passing. He's, he's also able to take the ball under pressure and move it out if France need to up the gears. You know. Yeah, he's so big. He's fast, and like you said, he can pass, and I think that's so key for the for the modern midfielder to be able to pass yeah. the ball. Yeah, it's it's key. It's not about breaking up play anymore. It's about it is about breaking up play, but it's also now about making moves happen for the attack, setting up things that, you know, can't happen. Yeah. You know, a lot of people had kind of almost written France off with how Brazil and Argentina were coming into this tournament. But would yeah. you say this has kind of done them well? Do you think that they're a little bit more favoured now? Yeah, I think in the France camp, there'll be a lot more confidence now. You know, they'll be thinking like, okay, we got some goals. You know, the key players scored goals. And there'll be confidence there. And... They were able to come back in a little tricky situation because, as we've seen with Argentina, they could have all gone wrong if after they conceded that first goal. But no, they just stuck to their game plan, you know, kept their heads, and they just they were just gonna keep playing the way they were, and they won. So I think it's just reminded everyone of the quality France has got. Yeah, you know, World Cup holders, people people write them off, but there is something in. The fact that they've won it before. You don't have to be the best team, but if you've got the right mindset and the right pieces around you, then you can you can do something yeah. special. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, on to another upset then, and we have Japan against Germany, the mighty Japanese coming back from one nil down to win that yeah. game two one. I mean, what went wrong for Germany? First of all, we have to say, is this the second biggest upset in recent World Cups? Not maybe history, but what would you say? I think in recent World Cups, it is. You know, Japan have never beaten Germany. Um, They just... And honestly, I think they deserved it as well. Yeah. Like, I can't say it's flu. What are your thoughts on Germany? Um, So the lineup went as predicted, essentially. We predicted that very lineup, apart from Gnabry in for Sane, but that's because Sane got injured. Yeah. 
same formation, you know, four two three one. I just I don't know. I just thought Germany they didn't they, they looked very they didn't look dangerous. They they looked yeah. Japan looked like they were cruising the whole way through. And I just felt like Germany were missing that focal point of their attack. You know, you've got good players like Musiala, Gnabry, um, Muller, and I can't remember who the Kai Havertz. But there's not that one player where I'm like, okay, if you need to rely on him for a goal, he'll get it for you. You know? Yeah, it felt like they lacked teeth to me. You know, they they, they have the right players, the right positioning, the right tactics, but it it reminded me a little bit of Chelsea at times. They just can't score. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. that's what we saw against Japan. Yeah, they had the chances to. And that's the worry for Germany coming into it, right? We said this um, in our preview for the World Cup, that they just don't have that goal-scoring threat. Yeah. That's going to cost them big time. Yeah. But even for the two goals, I must say, German teams growing up were always so well-drilled. They defended so well. Yeah. And yeah, they, they were, they used to call it the German engine, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, the wheels have come off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They just, they There's just, a bit of an oil leak. Well, you look at both Japanese goals, and again, it was nothing special. Yeah. Um, they should have been able to stop that. An old German team would have stopped that. But it just doesn't feel like this Germany team are what previous German teams were. Yeah. The difference is previous German teams, you had, very solid, reliable defenders who you could they could lean on in case you know to get them out of hard times and in case they didn't have the attack. They had decent attackers, but it was always about the defense. Yeah. This this year, I think Slaughterback didn't have a good game. I, I thought he struggled. And yeah. it just showed he they failed to cut out just one long ball over the top for Japan second. That should have been dealt with. In my opinion. Absolutely. And, you know, now Germany are at real risk of being knocked out of the World Cup because on Sunday they play Spain. Spain's a team we'll talk about in, you know, the second half of our episode. But if they lose to Spain, they're out. Yeah. And honestly, it could very well go that way because we'll talk about Spain soon, but they look very, very strong as well. Um, Yeah. And Rishi did say last week that Japan could call, uh, could do it could throw a clangor in the works, and you know they've already done it in round one. So yeah. I thought and that I was a treat up again. For the Japanese, yeah, they might not they might not stand a chance against Spain, but they could qualify if they win their other game. Yeah, against Costa Rica, who let's face it, are a very poor football side. <laughs> they are <Yeah>. very bad. <laughs> so it um. Yeah, it's all to play for for Japan. It's um, yeah, yeah. Asian teams don't often qualify out of the groups, other than maybe South Korea. But this Japanese team could could cause some havoc. Well, Japan were almost through to the semi final in the last World Cup, apart oh, from true, an eight minute Belgian turnaround. Yeah, no, you're so, not wrong. I forgot about that. So, I don't know. You know, all I'm saying is. Minamino comes on the pitch and 10 minutes later, Japan scored two. You know, if anything, Messi is the Argentine Minamino. <laughs> <laughs> the way of the samurai is strong, Lily. Yeah. All right. We hope you've enjoyed it so far. We will be back in a minute for part two, where we will talk about Spain, Portugal, and our quick fire meme round. See you in a yep. few. See you in a bit.
Welcome back, people, to the Games Good podcast. I hope you've been enjoying so far. Welcome back to part two. And we are going to pivot our attention to Group H. Now, some people are saying that Group H is actually probably the closest four teams in a group mm -hmm. uh, in terms of level of skill. And I think we saw that in that Uruguay-South Korea game. I know you watched it. What were your thoughts? So, do you know what? It was it was a bit more interesting than the scoreline suggests. So, there was chances for either side. You know, Uruguay hit the post off a set piece and Darwin had a few chances. He was causing chaos as per usual with the Darwin way. Good on um, you. So, I thought, I thought, I actually thought this game on the result makes it look worse than it was. I also thought South Korea had a few good opportunities to get at uh, Uruguay and counter-attack. Yeah. One thing about Uruguay I'd say is their midfield is strong, but their defense isn't. It doesn't. Yeah. It's not as strong as it could be. Yeah, I see Uruguay as this team. They're very, in every game, they're either boom or bust, right? Either Suarez and Nunes are scoring a brace each, or they're getting nothing. Like, I, I see no in-between for them. They're not the kind of team that's going to grind out a win. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, that's what makes them exciting. Yeah. Um, they're, I would say, apart from a few stand-up performers, that team has gotten a few like people who, you know, are a bit older than they used to be, like Suarez, Godin, Jimenez, you know, or they've got players that are quite young and still up and coming, like Valverde, Darwin, and Ben Tancor. So... I don't know. I feel for Uruguay, they may not get very far in yeah. their group. But for the younger guys, this is going to be like a very good experience. And I just don't think they have enough of a mix, a good mix to kind of go yeah. into the deep knockout stages, you know? Yeah, it's interesting because um, obviously Portugal, you assume, will qualify top. But I wouldn't be able to pick out of Uruguay and South Korea who's going to qualify second. Yeah, um, it's it's a lot closer. It's a lot closer than uh, it seems because I, it could go either way. Let's be honest. Like this draw, it doesn't help either team because either team could still go up. But yeah. it's what happened. So, I think the deciding one for Uruguay will be the game against Portugal. Yeah, like I said, like, Uruguay can win any game. Like ninety minutes. I would back Uruguay to beat most teams just if they play to their potential. The problem is playing to their potential. Yeah, yeah. So, That's um, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other game in Group H, let's just talk about Portugal, Ghana. Before we go into Portugal, though, I do want to say shout out to Ghana, first African team to score a goal in this World Cup. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I thought they played well. Honestly, I thought they deserved the draw. I didn't think Portugal deserved to win that. I don't think they did enough to win it. Yeah, uh, I thought opinion. at least for the first half, maybe even slightly longer, Ghana would right in there. Yeah. And, you know, the penalty, I'd say it's a very, very soft one. If not, if, if that's been nice, because I think he dived. He was diving. But it's a soft one at best. What I would uh, say on the penalty is that, you know, when just before the penalty, Ronaldo turned that player and scored the goal and it got pulled back for a foul. Yeah. 
I felt like that was an equal level of contact. So at least the referee was consistent in that they were both mm. fouls. I, I didn't yeah. think either should be a foul, but I mm. can yeah. accept the consistency to say, okay, both are fouls for contact in the box. Yeah, yeah. No. So at least so there was at least good consistency. Yeah. Super Ronaldo, first player to score in five consecutive World Cups. Yeah. Uh it's just not another record. He it's another record on his growing list of things that he's achieved. I mean, and, incredible, know, isn't it? Consecutive... Twenty years of World Cups. Like yeah. defies, defies logic, that man. And you know, yes. we all talked about how him and Bruno struggled to play together, but Bruno got two assists. Yeah, he got two assists. You know, Ronaldo got the first goal. Um, I I thought the the second goal, João Felix's goal. Now that was nice. I thought that was extremely nice. You know, just everything, the play, the turn, the finish. It yeah. was just very tidy play. So I was, it was a good positive sign from Portugal to be playing like that and converting those chances. Yeah. Now, with Portugal, I'd say their biggest concern is probably their defence. Funny enough, I think their most talented defender was at fault for the first goal, i.e. Cancelo. <laughs> but Cancelo, yeah. I know you have your own thoughts about Cancelo. <laughs> but I, I, they just need to yeah, be better at the back. Cancelo is for the second goal, I thought. I thought the it was the goal, second right? goal. It was the second goal. Yeah. He was poor for that goal. Um, yeah. You know, if if that was a certain other fullback, we'd be hearing a lot more about it. But well, no, the certain other fullback, fullback didn't make it into the England team, so we can't talk about him. Let's be honest. Hey, why are you throwing England into this? Nah, nah. <laughs> Let's be honest. He was he was poor. He should have been stronger. He should have he should have stopped the cross because yeah, he was and... in the position to do that. He just didn't. You know. Yeah, you look at the games to come for Portugal, Uruguay, and South Korea, obviously. Both have pace going forward. Mm-hmm. And if Portugal defend like they did today, they will concede to these teams. Yeah, they will. Because uh, Darwin Nunez is playing at left, left wing because uh, Suarez is in the focal point for Uruguay. Yeah. And you can you know say what you want about Darwin Nunez, but he is he's strong and he's quite quick. He's yeah. got like the fastest sprint in the Champions League this, um, this, this year. So he can get up players. Yeah, so I think I think Portugal is still probably the best team in that group. Yeah. But it wasn't the most convincing performance from them. Yeah. Uh, Did you see that Inaki Williams chance? Oh, man. I I just, I mean, it would have been, it would have been going straight into the meme round had he scored it. But, um, ah, that slip, eh? (laughs) It It was a good idea, though. I also yeah. thought Kudos had a really good game for Ghana, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, Inaki Williams, just talking about him for a moment, I feel for the guy. It was a very um, Gerard-esque slip, eh? No comment, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> had to put that in there. But yeah, yeah, they had the chance to draw the game. And yeah, if you look at the way they played, they probably deserved the draw. Mm-hmm. I'd agree with that. Now, on to a team that I was excited about. Last week, not many people were, were, but um, they proved me right. Spain, I think, the most fluid team in the first round of fixtures. Yeah, I would agree because 
you know, Argentina weren't at their best. Uh, where Spain were, Spain they were on it from minute one. You know, they they were they okay. You could say it's Costa Rica, and as I said just earlier, they're a very poor football side. Yeah. But the way Spain were whipping that ball around, moving it from side to side, you know, Busquets, Gavi, um, Pedri, I almost called him Iniesta for a second because that's how good the performance was. It was Iniesta-esque. You know, I mean, that, that, that combo of Gavi and Pedri is just unreal, isn't it? It's so high energy. Yeah. And they are both so good together that, I mean, Gavi impressed me you know, beyond words. Him and Bellingham, I just looked at it and thought, you two are the future of football. Yeah. I was very and, impressed by Gabby. Yeah. And, you know, Spain, the biggest criticism of them coming into this World Cup, and we made the same criticism, was that they're not going to score enough goals. We were comparing them to the last Spain team to World Cup who didn't score enough goals. Uh, didn't you say that they scored a half of that World Cup's goals in this game? Yeah, they scored seven. And I even messaged uh, the group chat we have saying they've scored 80% of their tournament goals in one game uh, as a joke. But you know, Spain were clinical. That I really liked the first goal. The Danny Olmo turn and finish. That was yeah. very, very nice. Excellent. I, I actually thought out of their three forwards, Olmo played the best. I know he didn't score as many goals as the others, but I thought he played the yeah. best. I'd agree with that. Um he was playing in, in the middle. Oh, no, he wasn't. He was playing off the yeah, left because yeah. Asensio was playing in the middle. We all we expect, all wondered. I really didn't think he'd put Asensio in the middle. We all wondered how he would fit Asensio in. But I think it, part of that reason is because Morata was ill. So he wasn't able to play. Yeah, but actually, I don't know. I think, I think he's got a bit of a selection headache because I thought Asensio looked good. Yeah. And that's probably why they were so fluid because Asensio and Olmo can easily switch places because Olmo plays as a false, I mean, not a false nine. He Olmo plays just behind in Kunku for Leipzig. So he's kind of used to yeah. playing that middle role just a bit further back. Yeah, it felt at times like Asensio was being a false nine. He was, he was dropping slightly behind. Yeah. And, and teeing up the other two. And, it, you know, I think it worked. And when Morata came on, yeah, I mean, Spain were up already, but I don't know. I thought they looked better with Asensio, if I'm totally honest. Yeah, I think it's because, you know, these players can interchange very easily. You know, they've all had, you know, you had Ferran Torres, who was playing right wing, Asensio and Olmo. They've all had turns or they've all played at some point as a false nine for their club. You know, you think of Ferran Torres, he played as a false nine just before. He moved to Barcelona from at Manchester City, you know, all I just mentioned and Asensio. So I think that helped contribute to the fluidity because Costa Rican defenders could not keep up with who was where. They kept losing their markers. Yeah. Tell me your thoughts on the long term outlook for Spain. Do you think they're dark horses? I think they're very good. I'm not sure how they will play against. Uh, you know, tougher opposition. I would say they. I think they will beat Germany. I yeah. do think they will beat Germany. Purely because of how poor I thought Germany were in the first game. Having said that, you know, it could easily be that if Germany win, this whole group becomes... Anyone could qualify in this group. The group of chaos of Germany win. Yeah. 
but I think Spain are good. I or I am a bit concerned about Busquets and in the games where the tempo's a lot quicker, if the opposition is playing a lot more, you know, first two one two touch passing around him, it's very easy to get around Busquets. He's not as mobile as he used to be. Yeah, I think what'll be interesting to see is in those types of games, will Gavi and Pedri drop as a result, and then well, Busquets can play that in front. He could of also he could also put Rodri on. He's got Rodri oh, on the bench. Yeah. So that's something maybe to consider. Yeah, yeah I and think you know, we saw I, I it. still think. Yeah, we saw it in that Spain game that the the Barcelona connections are strong. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's working for Enriquez, right? It's it's how he likes to play, and uh, you yeah. you can see. Yeah, I've often said this about managers like Enrique, Pep, Mourinho, Fergie. You can turn all the players into shadows and you'll know who the manager was by how they're playing. Yeah. And it's like that, you know, that was that was such an Enrique-esque performance. Mm-hmm. That, um, now, I'm excited for Spain. If they beat Germany, they, um, they've got something about, they have got a hard route to the final, I have to say. But, yeah, um, yeah I wouldn't write them off. They're not bad. No, no way. No way. Spain will top this group, I think. I think so, too. Right, to finish off, we have got a treat for you today. We have the best result, best memes of the week, rounding up all the football news that we saw. So we're going to start off with number one, see you later. Or sue later. That is is a reference to, of course, the news that Ronaldo is leaving Manchester United by mutual consent. Um, As a Manchester United fan, I'm sad to see him go like this. But I think yeah. it's probably the best move for both parties. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Um, you know, he wanted to leave in the summer. All it took was one interview with Piers Morgan. <laughs> one, and then he was off. <laughs> Good old Piers Morgan. <laughs> yeah. Um, the next meme is the Middle East got messy. Obviously, relating to the biggest shock of the World Cup, as she dubbed it, you know, in World Cup history, Saudi Arabia taking the win. I mean, you know, uh, their no. king gave everybody a national holiday. Yeah, today was a public what, holiday. What is going to happen if or they yes. qualify? <laughs> no, could you imagine? It's going to be unreal. Yeah. At number three, we have Ochoa kidding me. Of course, in reference to the Mexican goalkeeper Ochoa who seems to disappear in between World Cups um, <laughs> and then appear like Goku in Dragon Ball Z <laughs> with the most insane performances. Obviously, he saved the penalty. Um, I, I don't even know if he plays club football. I just don't hear anything about him unless it's a World Cup. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think I feel like I've heard somewhere a long time ago he plays in Mexico, but... I've never seen footage of this, so I cannot confirm. <laughs> yeah. So the next one is, I'll see your Saudi and raise you a Japan. That's a good one. <laughs> In reference to the other shock of the, can we call it a game week? The round? Yeah, the round. I'd say the first round. Yeah. And you know, Japan looked bloody good. I know we said it earlier, but yeah, they surprised me. They surprised yeah. me indeed. Rishi called it. At number five, we have an apple a day keeps the Glazers away. This is obviously the double-headed news that's come out today. One, that the Glazers are willing to sell Manchester United. 
-hmm. and the second that Apple are interested in buying them. If you imagine uh, the Manchester iPhone, you know, doesn't change every year. Just kind of the same thing. <laughs> I've had some good ones today. I heard um, Old Trafford's going to be renamed to iTrafford. Yeah, the Tim Cook <laughs> yeah. arena. Uh, yeah, from Apple's perspective, if it is true, it's perfect advertising, isn't it? Oh, it's like, easy money. Yeah, like, you know, it's a drop in the ocean in terms of money for them. You know, $2 trillion yeah. they're worth now. But Manchester United, as a fan base, is the biggest fan base in the world. They reckon that Manchester United has 1 billion fans across the globe. Mm-hmm. And you could advertise for free to all of them. Yeah. As a Man United fan, that makes me very excited. But do you think yeah. Todd Bowley's yeah. kicking himself a little bit? He bought Chelsea and now Liverpool and Man United are both on the market? Uh, maybe, potentially. I just think it's interesting that American owners are just trying to get out. Yeah. You know, we've got Liverpool owners who they've obviously realized they can't compete with this and maybe they want to leave because they want to fight. They, the NBA is expanding or whatever it is. Yeah. And now the Glazer wants to leave as well. So obviously I, something's no, happening over there. Being caused by the Saudis, I think, because, and obviously the Arabs, but because Man City's owners, Newcastle's owners, PSG's owners, yeah, football clubs are having to invest more and more money in order to stay relevant. Mm-hmm. And at some point, the American investors have gone. It's not worth it to us anymore. Yeah, yeah. agreed. And the last one is the pigeon has landed. <laughs> Obviously, in Richarlis, uh, in reference to Richarlison taking flight with that bicycle uh, goal and then landing in the World Cup scene. It wasn't that. I mean, what what a way to announce his arrival to the World Cup, eh? It's interesting because he doesn't actually break into the Spurs team. But <laughs> after this, maybe he's a de facto striker. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, he hasn't scored a goal for Spurs <laughs> in the season. He hasn't. But he can't stop no, scoring for Brazil. And that's something special. Yeah. I have one last one I saw online on Twitter. Oh, God. Then. Uh, it was a fan commenting that you know, every time I see England 6-2, I imagine Joe Root walking into the crease to save us from the shit. <laughs> that is a good one. That is a good one. They actually lost that to our fans out there. I mean, that is the most England thing, right? Win the T20 World Cup and then lose 3-0 to Australia. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. Yeah. Steering into other sports. But yeah, England. Frustrating. Gotta love them. Anyway, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Games Gone Podcast. Please subscribe and follow, and we will see you next week. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you soon. Peace. Peace.